This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Check out this headline from last week. Pentagon admits that it has been testing wreckage from UFO crashes, including a possible memory metal that experts claim may have been recovered during the 1947 Roswell crash. Now, this headline is not to be confused with last week's show with Dr. Paula Violette on the U.S. Navy UFO patents. Pentagon admits it has been testing wreckage from UFO crashes. Researcher Anthony Bregalia secured more than 150 pages from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency after the agency responded to a three-year FOIA request. That's a Freedom of Information Act. Although much of the report's details are redacted, what can be gleaned is that these technologies represent a literal quantum leap beyond the properties of all existing material known to man. Bregalia writes in his blog, included in the pages were the repeated mention of advanced technology reports surrounding nitinol, which is described as a shape recovery alloy. Bregalia shared that the nitinol had similar properties to the memory metal found near the Roswell, New Mexico UFO crash of 1947. Pages from the FOIA reply indicate that the Pentagon was exploring whether nitinol could be integrated into the human body for the improvement of health. Now, we're hoping to have Anthony Bregalia on the program in a few weeks to discuss, but he's not quite ready to talk. In fact, here's the email response that he sent to me after I asked him to come on the program a couple of weeks ago. Hi, Richard. Thanks for the interest. I would would like to do media on this, but it is still an ongoing investigation. You may have heard that the Pentagon is now backtracking on the FOIA, saying that it was mistakenly fulfilled as a request for UFO debris tests when it was really for 
regular, quote, end quote, aerospace metals. Of course, this is not true, Tony writes. As soon as I learn more, I'll, ca- I'll contact all those who contacted me with an update and with interviews. Signed, Tony. Well, we are going to talk about uh, this story tonight, nonetheless. This is the Pentagon's walking back uh, the uh, the FOIA response, notwithstanding. This is a huge story. Author, photojournalist, Emmy Award-winning producer Tim Swartz will be here this hour to discuss. And then coming up in hour two, one of my favorite topics, time travel, by location, time slips, time, di- time dilations. Author, lecturer on human consciousness, Vaughn Brash- Braskler. Vaughn Braskler will be here in hour two. His brand new book, Time Shifts, Experiences of Slipping into the Past and Future. But first, Again, the Pentagon has admitted to possessing and testing out wreckage from UFO crashes with the researcher who found the startling news, hypothesizing that the debris may be from the famous Roswell, New Mexico crash of 1947. Researcher Anthony Bregalia made the revelation on his uh, blog, UFO Explorations, sharing that he secured more than 150 pages from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency after the agency reported responded to a three-year freedom of information request he submitted. Although much of the, the reports, again, are redacted, what can be gleaned is that these technologies represent a literal quantum leap beyond the properties of all existing material known to man. Bregalia writes in his blog, his FOIA request was unambiguous in its meaning. According to the researcher who prided himself in finding the loophole for information that is normally confidential and secret. The original 2017 FOIA request made to the DIA asks for the physical descriptions, properties, and composition of UFO UAP material held by the government and its contractor, he said, before adding that it refers to UFO UAP material and physical debris recovered by personnel of the Department of Defense as residue, flotsam, shot off material or crashed UAPs or unidentified flying objects. Bregalia attached the FOIA request and parts of the five documents he was given access to, which compromised the entire 154 pages that he possesses. The researcher did share that there were several documents that had to be heavily redacted. The documents show that the testing was being carried out by Bigelow Aerospace, a Las Vegas, Nevada-based company that does private contract work for the Department of Defense. And incidentally, at strangeplanet.ca, under tonight's show info, you'll find the related article there. You can just click on the link. All right, let's get Tim Swartz in here. Tim is an Indiana native, an Emmy Award-winning television producer and videographer. He's the author of a number of popular books on mysteries and unexplained phenomena. As a photojournalist, Tim has traveled extensively and investigated paranormal phenomena and other unusual mysteries from such diverse locations as the Great Pyramid in Egypt to the Great Wall in China. He's also appeared on the History Channel's programs, The Tesla Files, Ancient Aliens, Evidence, Ancient Aliens, Declassified, and the History Channel Latin America series, Contacto, Extraterrestre, and his list of published works include Admiral Byrd's Secret Journey Beyond the Poles, Men of Mystery, Nikola Tesla and Otis T. Carr, 
the secret space program, the lost journals of Nikola Tesla, time travel, alternative energy, and the secret of Nazi flying saucers, Geff, the talking mongoose, and Tim R. Swartz's big book of incredible alien encounters. Tim, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks for having me on tonight. Oh. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great talking to you. Tell me, give me your general reaction to this this story, this headline, when you first came across it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's always been, I think, the dream of of every UFO researcher and investigator to to hear an admission uh, from the government or the military that, that yes, not only have they been researching and studying UFOs, but that possibly they may actually have, uh, you know, bits and pieces or, or, or maybe even a, uh, a, an entire UFO, uh, hidden away someplace in, you know, a secret bunker at area, uh, 51 or at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So, when I first uh, saw this article come out, you know, I immediately uh, went to uh, Tony's uh, website, and 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 you know, uh, you know, uh, Tony Bragalia, he has been uh, writing on this subject and 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 other uh, similar topics for a number of years. So I was very interested in uh, in seeing. Uh, what his Freedom of Information Act uh, request had had finally netted him, and uh, and it wasn't too long before, boy, this really exploded uh, across uh, uh, the world. All you know, all types of, of uh, media outlets began uh, uh, carrying this story. So, I mean, you know, it's. Uh, um, it, it, I'm always happy to see this kind of attention being brought to the UFO subject. Well, we go back to 2017, December 2017, and that that New York Times article with Ralph Lumenthal and Leslie Kane and talking about the revealing for the first time this, or at least in the the mainstream media, this Mm. secret uh, Pentagon UFO project, ATIP. So we look at that article, and here we are today in 2021 with this coming out. And I mentioned last week the UFO, uh, the Navy, U.S. Navy's UFO patents story that we discussed with Dr. Paul Liviolette. Um, it seems like if if that New York Times article is kind of, let's call it ground zero, where, you know, the door started to open, it seems like a story like this is basically kicking the door in. I mean, how much closer do we need to get before we can basically say this is disclosure? Well, of course, the the original New York Times story just really revealed something that I think all of us have known for a long time, um, uh, that the, uh, the the Pentagon, the United States government, and, and, and probably other governments across the planet um, have been heavily involved in the research of uh, of UFOs, um, and and anybody who who may act surprised that uh, and think that you know this this is new information, then they they really need to go back and and uh, do their homework because. Uh, <sighs> 
this this is a phenomenon that has been going on for a long time. I mean, uh, we first really became um, knowledgeable on it in you know the 1940s and, and probably even further back. But uh, the United States uh, military has been actively involved in researching uh, UFOs uh, since the since the late 1940s. So. Um, I think that any talk currently of disclosure, while new information is coming up, coming out all of the time, I, I, I think I still think that we have a ways to go before that that really truly uh, uh, groundbreaking, you know, knocking down the door and, and, you know, all the secrets, uh, coming out, uh, is going to happen. Uh, we're, we're not quite there yet. And, uh, there, there are still some entities that, that are holding this secret very close to them. And it's going to take a lot really <laughs> to pry it loose from their grasp. Uh, Anthony Bregalia, I, I don't know Anthony aside from our brief email correspondence. What else can you tell me about about Anthony and and his work in this field? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, that Anthony has uh, um, uh, uh, really revealed, I mean, you know, a lot of really uh, 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 groundbreaking information was his research of the. Um, uh, remote viewing uh, uh, experiments and projects that were taking place within the military and the intelligence community, uh, not only in you know the 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 nineteen seventies and eighties, but it's uh, continuing uh, uh, research that that has gone on probably still to this day. Uh, you know this this is something that much like the uh, the the UFO research. The military will reveal that, yeah, you know, we we, we sunk uh, some money into this. We didn't find anything that would help us. So, you know, we dropped it when the reality is, is that it, they just went and changed names and and continued uh, their, their projects. And the, the same goes with uh, the whole UFO field. Uh, when possibly maybe a little too much information comes out to the general public you know the military and the government will say the same thing yeah you know i mean we 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 had some money uh, invested into this we didn't find anything that uh, uh would help us or 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 show that uh, ufos are a threat so we dropped it uh, when, you know, much like the uh, the remote viewing projects, uh, this was something that uh, the money and the investigations continued uh, under uh, uh, you know, under different offices, under different names, and uh, uh, you know, set to different sections, and uh, and also involving uh, private corporations just to uh, kind of keep the reporters and the investigators. Uh, you know, off their tails a little bit. Although, I mean, just based on the headline itself, and I uh, understand, obviously, the devil is in the details and, mm. and so forth, and those redacted, much of them are, are redacted, those pages mm. that Anthony has uh, released, but you, should, you look at that headline, Pentagon mm. admits it has been testing wreckage from UFO crashes, and as Tony points out, they have sort of 
you know, walk that back a little bit and, and, um, and we'll get into that in a moment, but just based on that headline, did you ever, ever imagine that you would live to see such a headline in the mainstream, in the, in the mainstream news? <laughs> um, one, one always hopes, um, but you have to understand that, you know, I mean, I have been involved in this for a number of years and have seen all kinds of uh, sensational headlines and statements coming out uh, concerning uh, UFOs and the possible disclosure by the military or the government or, 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 or what have you. And uh, like you said, you know, it uh, at at first everything is is very you know sensational, and then a lot of times that's all you hear. Uh, they you know either retract uh, the original statements or then uh, say nothing at all. You know, it just uh, the, the the story doesn't go any further. So when you when you see an announcement like this, you really have to approach it uh, with some skepticism. I mean, you know, you just, uh, you're not being very responsible if you just go and jump feet first into it and say, you know, yes, hallelujah. You know, this, uh, uh, the, the, the time has finally come that, uh, we will know all and everything will be revealed. Uh, so, when I first saw this headline, you know, I, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to get my hope, hopes up, you know. <laughs> right. Have, uh, Tim, have you ever um, done a FOIA? Have you ever tried to get uh, information from the government through the Freedom of Information Act? Not myself, no. Uh, uh, I've, I've worked with people uh, who have uh, to, uh, uh because you have to understand, you have to be very precise right. in the type of information that you are requesting or else it'll just get thrown out. Then again, you cannot be so precise that you list, you know, like a uh, uh, hundred different things that you're wanting to get because then you'll get a phone call. Uh, uh, from the office saying, you know, you're going to have to narrow this down a little bit because with all of the things that you're asking for, I mean, you know, there, there, there could be a couple thousand pages of information that you're uh, looking for. And uh, that's the, that's one of the things that uh, um, uh, that Anthony ran into was that uh, he started, uh, uh, you know, getting uh, you know emails and, and, and phone calls asking him to uh, 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 uh give them a little bit more information on uh, what he was looking for and 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 what he was uh, uh, requesting and that that may have actually um, been the result of the uh, the 154 pages of documents that he ended up getting right I mean how long has the FOIA been around since the Carter administration right since yes. like um, mid to late 70s Right, right. And so I'm I'm guessing that since that time, there have been thousands upon thousands of FOIAs looking for this kind of information. Uh, but and but finally, he seems to have gotten it right. I mean, he, mm. he, he knew exactly the right questions, obviously trial and error. You ask, you don't get back the response you want. Uh, 
And as you say, that's the trick, right? It's asking the right question, because if you give them some wiggle room, they won't give you what you need. Yes. Um, <laughs> the the thing about it is the, the information that he received, if you go and, and, and look at it very closely, um, his headlines may have been a little bit more sensationalistic than what um, is in the documents that he received. All right. Well, we'll um, we're going <laughs> to we're going to break in a few moments and we'll come back and talk about that. But he he does he does mention nitinol, which yes. we've we've been hearing about for for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this memory material that was supposedly found near the Roswell, New Mexico crash site of 47, something like I believe 40 witnesses uh, have have talked about nitinol. Um and he also mentions the contractor, right? Bigelow Aerospace yes. from Las Vegas. So, uh, I mean, what what do you make of of the fact that they mention nitinol in these documents? Well, nitinol um, is a uh, uh, is a memory metal. Uh, like they said, it's uh, um, uh, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's an alloy. I think that includes uh, nickel. Uh, but I can't remember what else it has. Uh, but uh, as far as we know, and, you know, I'll put quotation, you know, uh, marks around this. As far as we know, this is not um, something that was discovered at Roswell. Uh, Nitinol has characteristics that seem to be similar to uh, what was reported uh, was found at uh, at Roswell, but nowhere in the uh, uh, the paperwork that uh, uh, Anthony was given does it ever make that connection. Does it ever say Nitinol was found at Roswell? All right, uh, that's this was something that uh, that that Tony put in his blog as a basically as a speculation uh, because of the similarities uh, of of the metals. All right, we will uh, take a quick time out. Tim Swartz stays with us as we continue to discuss uh, these documents released after uh, a three years UFO researcher Anthony Bregalia has uh, netted about 150 pages from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency. Bregalia claims, uh, seems to be claiming this is kind of the holy grail or the smoking gun. A Pentagon admits it has been testing wreckage from UFO crashes. More of our discussion when the conspiracy show returns. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. We are back with Tim Swartz, Emmy Award winning TV producer, photojournalist, author, and uh, his, we've linked up to his website at strangeplanet.ca. Just click on Tim's name and uh, it'll come up there. Uh, conspiracy. Well, it used to be Conspiracy Journal. Now it's uh, uforeview.tripod.com. Correct, Tim? It's it's still Conspiracy Journal. You can just type in conspiracyjournal.com and it'll, t- it'll take you to that site. All right. So um, you're... Uh, not convinced that uh, that Anthony perhaps has uncovered maybe what he thinks he has, 
let's just delve into that a little bit. So right. um, explain explain why you think maybe he's jumping the gun a little bit on this. Well, it um, looking at uh, uh, this material that uh, that he received, um, uh, they're called. Um, uh, uh, DIRDs, by the way, Defense Intelligence uh, Reference Documents. And uh, it, uh, uh, going through uh, what's what's been made uh, available, uh, these were created under the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Applications Program, um, which, uh, according to the Pentagon, was a portion of ATIP, uh, outsource uh, to the private sector. And uh, when I say the private sector, I'm talking about uh, a Bigelow Aerospace, all right. So it um, it appears that these DIRD reports are dealing with materials that um, uh, 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 not uh, um, um, the 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 research and. Uh, and study of of crashed or uh, obtained UFO material, uh, but actually more along the t- lines of of what uh, uh, private corporations um, would produce for advanced aerospace technologies. All right, um, uh, this would be pursuant. Uh, to the Advanced Aerospace Threat and Identifications uh, uh, Program's mission, which would be to establish a center of expertise. All right. So uh, you know you've heard all, all the talk recently about the, uh, the 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 Space Force. Yes. The study of material like this would be for the advancement of a of, of really new technological advancements produced here on Earth for space travel, all right? And it appears that uh, these documents are pertaining to that, all right? That uh, this is a uh, 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 private corporation's uh, 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 study on the development and use of new materials uh, to be used in outer space and and not for the research of of crashed UFO material. Now, Anthony, you know, he one of his replies, and I'm sure that uh, you know when you finally do get him uh, get him onto your show, uh, you know, he'll be able to state this a little bit more uh, uh, clearly. Uh, but um, his response to this is along the lines of, well, yeah, of course, the uh, the Pentagon is not going to write in these documents that, yeah, this is uh, uh, UAP, UAP, UFO, alien, extraterrestrial uh, uh, crash debris. And instead, they're going to go and, you know, kind of like uh, use coded words or, 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 or things like that. All right, that uh, he says that you know that these technical reports um, you know would never reference aliens and Roswell or anything like that. So uh, that currently is what he is saying about these documents and the fact that nowhere in any of them 
are any of the words UFOs, UAP, extraterrestrial material, uh, is uh, Roswell is is ever used? All right. right. And, and and but Anthony is saying that and again the Pentagon has has walked back and saying that they weren't they, just as you said that, that they weren't referring to UFOs or wreckage. They were talking about the development of these. Uh, can we use the word metamaterials and, yes. and other technologies? Mm-hmm. But 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 Anthony is saying that his original 2017 FOIA request that he made to the DIA was unambiguous. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, it was unambiguous in its meaning. Uh, he said he asked for the physical descriptions, properties, and composition of UFO, UAP material held by the government and its contractor, full stop. Unambiguous. Right, right. And, uh, you know, that's uh, there's there's the rub right there. Now, um, you know, you have somebody like um, 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 John Greenwald of uh, the uh, the Black Bolt and who has, you know, uh, uh, sent in, you know, uh, probably hundreds of Freedom right. of Information Act requests um, over the years. And uh, w- one of the things that he points out is that, you know, there's uh, there's this kind of like this this uh, uh, this belief that uh, uh, the, the people who work with FOIA are there. You know, their their job basically is to fool you, to try to give you stuff that may, you know, somewhat sound like what you're looking for, but it isn't. And he says that most of the people that he has worked with, he says that, you know, there are a few who are jerks, but he says that most of the people that he has worked with have been over backwards to help him and others try to uh, uncover the type of information uh, uh, that that they are requesting, but he says that uh, uh, one of the things that um, that happens is that they work kind of like with uh, almost like uh, templates, all right, where they'll use say like one word uh, from these uh, uh, requests, all right, and uh, uh, Greenwald he thinks that um, after uh, Brugalia started receiving, you know, like some emails for further clarification on what he was looking for, that rather than focusing on the words UFO or UAP, that instead they focused on the words material, ah. which is why the uh, uh, the 154 uh, pages of the uh, uh, Defense Intelligence Reference Documents all dealt with the uh, research and developments of uh, uh, materials that can be used in uh, future space programs, uh, but not the um, uh, uh, the research on UFO debris or material. Hmm. It is interesting, though, that again, uh, Bigelow Aerospace from Las Vegas, Nevada, is is mentioned, mm-hmm. and when you put that together with Bigelow's involvement with um, the ATIP, uh, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and Bigelow's much publicized comments on 60 Minutes talking about the existence of of aliens and UFOs are real, uh, and claims that he, that, that, um, he had material from crashed UFO sites. Uh, 
I mean, you, you connect these dots. I mean, it it seems despite, again, the Pentagon walking this statement back, uh, it, it seems quite reasonable to make these connections that Bigelow has material. He's testing the material. He's involved with the Advanced Aerospace Threat Program. Uh, he's, he's, he's talked openly about the fact that, that uh, he has material and he's made public statements on in the mainstream media. I should point out that in um, 2019, the, uh, the U.S. Army confirmed that it had entered into a cooperative deal with uh, 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 Tom DeLong's to the uh, STARS Academy of uh, Arts and Science to uh, uh, research on metal materials that the uh, uh, TTSA claimed that they had. Um, uh, and this also involved Bigelow Aerospace. Um, now, uh, Tom DeLong said that, um, I have to find this here. Okay. Tom DeLong said that, uh, that he had, he himself had gotten a hold of through, um, Linda Moulton Howe, a, a piece of micron layered bismuth magnesium zinc metal, which, um, she had, uh, this, this had been sent originally to the late Art Bell. Uh, from uh, an anonymous source that the individual claimed that their grandfather had been in an unspecified branch of the U.S. military and that the items were related to the Roswell uh, UFO crash. Now, um, uh, she said that the metal samples displayed anti-gravitational or levitational properties when exposed to certain frequencies of electromagnetic uh, radiation. Now, as well... Um, uh, there was a uh, one piece of aluminum that uh, TTSA physicist Hal Pudoff had already in his possession uh, that was uh, to be analyzed. Uh, one round black and civil silver metal flake that Pudoff uh, uh, had in his uh, collection, and uh, a couple of other items that uh, uh, that weren't listed. Now um, uh, this came out in 2019 and we really haven't heard much more about it. Now we do know that uh, Bigelow Aerospace uh, laid off a bunch of people uh, uh, recently because of the uh, the whole COVID-19 thing. And uh, when uh, uh, George Knapp recently uh, interviewed Bigelow, George came right out and and and, and asked him, about whether or not it was true that uh, uh, the uh, the military had uh, had given uh, Bigelow Industries, uh, and it was said that uh, that they had uh, either built or had uh, um, refurbished various buildings to uh, to house this metamaterial. Uh, Bigelow claimed that this never happened; that he never received this material. Mm. So, you know, it's, uh, and, and, you know, you would have, you have to wonder, you know, Bigelow has been interested in this subject uh, for a long time and oh, yes. has, you know, and, and, and has publicly, uh, uh, stated this. So, um, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder, would the government be willing to collaborate 
something as as earth shattering as the research of crashed UFO material with somebody who has in the past been all too willing to talk about uh, 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 um, um, his research and interest to the press. Interesting. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, John Lear and his his uh, relationship with uh, Bob Lazar of Area 51. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick time out and come back with Tim Swartz as we continue to discuss uh, what uh, Anthony Bregalia is saying is, uh, well, practically the smoking gun that the UFO is admitting. It's been testing wreckage from UFO crashes. Tim Swartz says, not so fast. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. All right, we will uh, open up the phone lines and take questions and comments with the Tim Swartz, 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area. Again, 416-360-0740 and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-744-4740, 866-744-4740. And I've also instructed our live stream producer, Ryan White, to curate some questions from our YouTube live chat, and he'll, um, he'll relay those on to me. So if you're in the live chat and you have a question or comment for Tim Swartz regarding this uh, story about the UFO uh, or the Pentagon, Supposedly, according to Anthony Bregalia, admitting that they are testing material from UFO crashes. Uh, we will be delighted to take those comments and questions. Let me just read here. This is the actual FOIA request from Anthony uh, sent to the FOIA Public Liaison Defense Intelligence Agency. FOIA request. I'm a United States citizen. I'm willing to pay for any associated costs in fulfillment of this Freedom of Information Act request. Associated with the De- Department of Defense Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program of the U.S. Pentagon, operating from approximately 2009 to 2012, are warehouses in the Las Vegas, Nevada area scheduled to soon hold metal-like alloy material recovered from unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs. This could include physical debris recovered by personnel of the Department of Defense as residue, flotsam, shot off material or crashed material from UAPs or unidentified flying objects. This background material provided to assist in your re- in your search is confirmed by U.S. Senator Harry Reid and former Department of Defense intelligence official Luis Elizondo. Requester asks to be provided with an inventory list of all associated documentation of said material. Such documentation will include One, physical description of all held material. Two, source of origin of all held material. Three, circumstances and method of obtainment of all held material, i.e. flotsam residue, shot off material, crash material. Four, custodian U.S. government agency of all held material. Five, the titles and authors of all technical and analytical reports conducted on all held material. I would say that's pretty unambiguous, um, particularly because he does connect it with the, de- the, the uh, de- Department of Defense's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 
he asks for the circumstances and method of, of obtainment. Now, I haven't gone through all 154 uh, pages, but does did they respond in kind? Did they provide any information with regards to the circumstances and methods uh, that these materials were gathered? No. Not that, not that I, uh, from the research that I have done with this, I, uh, and as I stated earlier, I mean, there's, there's no uh, mention of UFOs, UAPs, uh, extraterrestrial, uh, 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 where material may have been obtained from. Uh, nothing like that is contained uh, within these uh, the, these papers. Um, and uh, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, the uh, uh, the Pentagon has uh, backtracked on this. Uh, I guess that the Pentagon has uh, you know issued a statement saying that Bregalia was making the claims that Bregalia was making about the uh, first batch of documents he received were inaccurate and misleading. Now uh, they said that the testing referred to in the documents released by the uh, Department Intelligence Agency uh, was of known materials conducted for study purposes pursuant to the Advanced Aerospace Threat. And, and identification program's mission of establishing a center of expertise for advanced aerospace technologies. Uh, the, this, this came from uh, uh, Pentagon spokesman uh, Susan um, Go, I think is how you pronounce her name, G-O-U-G-H. Uh, she said that any claims that the tests are of debris are inaccurate and misleading. Now, you know, I... I do want to say also, Richard, that um, just because this paperwork that 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 Tony received uh, may not necessarily be the, the the smoking gun that everybody has has been looking for, I have no doubt that um, there is material that is being held and researched. Um, either by the, uh, the, the, the government, the military, private corporations, probably a combination of all, uh, all of the above. Um, I don't think, though, that the information pertaining to the research of this material is going to come out as easily as as uh, uh, as is being claimed has happened right now uh, 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 with this through the Freedom of Information uh, Act. Um, you know, I, I, again, because this is something that um, is well, I mean, this would be the you know, the news of the millennia that uh, we have confirmation that we are being visited by some other intelligence, whether it be uh, uh, beings from other planets, other dimensions, time travelers, what have you. So this information isn't just going to come out uh, from a, uh, a Freedom of Information Act request with, uh, you know, like a bunch of papers, you know, coming to uh, a, a one researcher. You know, this, this, is, this is something that, like I said earlier, is being held very close, and it's 
<laughs> it's going to come out uh, kicking and screaming uh, if it ever does. <laughs> All right. This was a short segment. We'll take a quick time out, come back and finish up with Tim Swartz and uh, hopefully work in some calls and questions from the YouTube live chat. The Conspiracy Show continues. I'm Richard Serrett. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Just a reminder, coming up in uh, the next hour, the top of the hour, actually, uh, Vaughn Braskler will be here to talk about time slips. Uh, Tim Swartz stays with us as we continue to uh, delve into this rather sensational headline, which um, may, as it turned out, be a bit of a, uh, a lunch bag letdown. And that is uh, the, uh, uh, the FOIA request by ufologist uh, Anthony Bregalia, who I believe is buried in the 154 documents that he received from the Defense Intelligence Agency, reveals proof that the Pentagon is studying or testing uh, um, debris found at a UFO uh, crash. Uh, it, there's not a lot of there there, according to uh, my guest, Tim Swartz. Uh, let's go to the uh, the YouTube live chat and uh, show me the truth. 74 uh, wants to know, Tim, whether you believe President Eisenhower had meetings uh, with aliens. This, I guess, goes back to about 1954 mm-hmm. when uh, Eisenhower was supposedly vacationing in Palm Springs and then was taken to uh, Holloman Air Force Base, I believe. That's in New Mexico, I think, uh, where he supposedly met some Nordic uh, aliens. Uh, that was one of supposedly three uh, face-to-face meetings with uh, aliens. We've all heard these stories. Uh, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's a uh, that that's a great story, and I mean, you know, you've got uh, researchers like uh, Tim Good who who reported on this, and uh, you know, I I think that uh, there could be some uh, veracity uh, to these stories, whether or not uh, Eisenhower actually uh, met with uh, ETs. I think that there was some kind of contact with the uh, United States government. And some intelligent beings that claimed that they uh, were extraterrestrials, but uh, I, I, I think that there's a good possibility that the information that was given uh, uh, from these beings may have turned out not to be uh, exactly true. You know, I mean, you, you get you get these stories where they say that, yeah, you know, we're from you know Zeta Reticuli and you know such and such, or Venus or Mars, especially in the early fifties. And come to find out that uh, the information, uh, you know, doesn't hold up. You know, there was some kind of contact with what? That's what the question is. Uh, Bill O'Connell, 13, is wondering if the CERN super collider breaking through the veil gleans information from these otherworldly interdimensional beings. Hmm. Yeah, I've uh, I've I've heard stories about uh, you know like wormholes opening up over the uh, uh, the the super collider and and all this, but uh, you know I I think that uh, uh, information you know from these uh, other interdimensional intelligence that have been you know has been going on for a long time, you know probably as long as that there you know. 
as there's been people on the planet. So I don't think we necessarily have to have a, a, a super collider or even a super technology in order to uh, 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 get this information or even communicate uh, with the uh, uh, other realities. Uh, Solar Warden asks, uh, Tim, if you're familiar with the NASA STS-48 mission and the mm-hmm. subsequent anomalous video with the fast-moving craft speeding away from what looks like it was being fired upon in the lower atmosphere. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's a fascinating uh, video. And, of, and of course, uh, the debunkers say that it's just, you know, like pieces of ice crystals, you know, that have floated off of the uh, uh, the, the, the shuttle and are you know, closer to the camera than they appear to be. But, uh, you know, it, it, it does appear that uh, these are some kind of intelligent, controlled, whatever, craft or, or you know, as you see, are like almost like orbs. Uh, but then there does does appear to be a flash of light coming from the direction of a planet. And of course, you know, the shuttle was in orbit around the Earth, and a, uh, a, a streak of light flashes upward, and these pieces of, or, you know, these orbs suddenly make 90-degree turns as if trying to get out of the way. So, you know, I mean, you know, your guess is as good as mine, you know, as what we're looking at, but I don't think that pieces of ice you know is the explanation <laughs> uh you betcha asks is there proof that countries other than the united states have had access to alien technology is there a race among countries to develop the technology well you, there's been stories uh you know since world war ii that uh, uh, various countries have been able to get a hold of, of uh, you know, some kind of technology from some other place. Uh, supposedly, you know, uh, Italy during World War II, Nazi Germany, uh, the, the the Soviet Union, the United States as well. Uh, I think that if such material has been found, we're probably, you know, faced with the dilemma of what exactly are we dealing with? Uh, if if this is technology so far advanced as to, you know, to be coming to us from another, a planet from another solar system, then we probably would have no idea how to back engineer uh, such advanced technology. It would it would be like going back into the past and giving a calculator, say, to Sir Isaac Newton. You know, he may see it and say, well, you know, and, and figure out that you can, you know, uh, uh, add, subtract, do things like that. But exactly how to rebuild it or how it even works, that would be beyond him. And I, and I think that is uh, uh, what we would face if we actually do have uh, obtained crashed UFO uh, technology. Well, wasn't that sort of the the um, response? There was that, and R- Richard Dolan sort of heralded this as, you know, the, the greatest document leak in history, this UFO document leak. There were notes taken by um, a physicist, um, his name escapes me, it was a Dr. Davies, who met with the uh, the former um, director of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, mm-hmm. who supposedly had found one of these uh, black ops um, uh, programs and was denied when he asked to be read into the program and he was able to meet with the the director of the program i guess in a in a in a quiet 
location, a quiet room, I think they call it. And that's what they told him, that they did have uh, they did have a craft. But after 30, 40 years, they still couldn't figure out how to make it work or, or how it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I think that maybe some of the more simpler aspects, uh, say, like uh, uh, fiber optics or, you know, uh, uh, microchips, you know, maybe uh, maybe be able to glean uh, information from. But, uh, you know, you get something like maybe, you know, advanced physics, interstellar travel, something like that, or even the fact that these craft may be an artificial intelligence all of their own um that's that's still that's something that is that's science fiction uh, to to most people that's that's you know uh, we've barely gone beyond uh, crawling out of the caves and throwing rocks at the moon so i mean forget about uh, harnessing uh, wormholes and interstellar travel and also we've heard from from people supposedly uh, connected with um, Majestic 12, and I think this came from, um, oh, uh, our, our, from Winnipeg, uh, presidential UFOs, um, this gentleman. Anyway, he, he's talked to people supposedly connected with Majestic 12, and what they constantly bring up is the, the psychic connection Mm-hmm. Uh, to UFOs, and and maybe that's the missing element. They're looking for some mechanism, you know, in terms of UFO propulsion. But what they're missing is this psychic aspect to these craft. Right, right. That and that's that's one of the things that came out extru- very very early on with some of these uh, supposed uh, crashed UFOs is that there appears to be you know some kind of intelligence that is associated with these craft. Uh, but but not necessarily the occupants inside, that the craft itself is an intelligence all its own. All right. Uh, we are out of time, and it's always a delight, to, Tim. We have to have you back on more often, and um, i got to thank you so much for taking the time out to do this with us. And uh, again, the website is, give us that website, make sure we have the right one here. Yes, it's conspiracyjournal.com. One word, easy to find. Excellent. That's all linked up at uh, strangeplanet.ca. All right, Tim, have a good one. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. All right, when we come back, time slips into the past and the future right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer, and Ryan White is our live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on my YouTube channel tonight, Strange Planet. And uh, be sure to hit that red sub button. We are inching closer and closer to 25,000 subscribers. And uh, we'll set off the, uh, I guess, the confetti cannon once we get there. Well, maybe Ryan can set off the confetti cannon at his place. It's a little cramped in here in my uh, my studio beneath the stairs. Uh, a quick programming note. Coming up next week on the show, God willing, uh, Terry James will be here. 
Uh, Terry is the general editor of Lawless, End Times War Against the Spirit of Antichrist. It's uh, an intensely focused volume that answers questions about what's really going on in these uh, volatile and uh, inexplicably strange times that we are living in. What does it all mean? Why is there such a divide? Why such anger and hatred? And people want to know the answers. And uh, Terry will come on and explain that the answer is spiritual and that it's all right there in Bible prophecy. The tumult uh, altogether constitutes uh, a major indicator of how near we are to the end of this age. That's Terry James next week on the program talking about the Antichrist. All right, time slips have been reported throughout history. English women vacationing in France in 1901 claimed they stepped into the French Revolution and two English couples traveling in Spain in the 1970s stayed at an oddly archaic hotel that was simply gone on the return journey. In his new book, Vaughn Braskler provides a comprehensive examination of sudden, accidental time slips shifting from ordinary reality into the past or future. He shares detailed accounts from people who've experienced time slips, including his own experiences, as well as the practices of shamans, yoga masters, and samadhi mystics who once who use trance-like meditative states to travel outside normal space and time. Vaughn also offers step-by-step exercises to prepare you to experience time shifts to help set them up and to enhance the experience when you've slipped through time. He also examines criticisms of and scientific support for this phenomenon, debunking claims that time slips are delusions or remembrances of past lives and showing that they may be related to energy vortices, black holes or astral travel. Vaughn is a writer on the subjects of time, human consciousness, and energy healing. He's lectured and led workshops throughout the U.S. and the U.K. and served as a faculty member at Omega Institute for Holistic Studies in Rhinebeck, New York. He's a former newspaper and magazine editor. He writes and leads workshops in the areas of consciousness and development. His titles of published works include Confessions of a Reluctant Ghost Hunter, Seven Secrets of Time Travel, Perfect Timing, Mastering Time Perception for Personal Excellence, Conversations with a Dream Mentor, A Magical Journal, and his latest, Time Shifts, Experiences of Slipping into the Past and Future. Hey, Vaughn, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. I can't believe we haven't we haven't talked before. This is like one of my if not my favorite topics, certainly one of my favorite topics, time travel, my, by location. My, excellent. My, my favorite topic too, Richard. How did it all begin for you? Well, I started having these kind of strange slips um, at an early age, I think 12, 13, and they just kept on continuing. And I thought maybe I was uh, unusual, and then I started hearing of other people. You know, the thing is, uh, probably a lot more people experience accidental time slips than actually we realize or they realize because people will just say, well, you know, I just had some strange vision or, you know, I was daydreaming or it was just uh, a little bit of um, afternoon imagination on my part. You, they come out of it very disoriented. 
They don't know how to rationalize it. It's outside their frame of normal um, reality. They've never heard of anyone else doing this, and so they just ignore it. Ignore it like my mother did, and she she when I was a little tot before I ever had one, my mother told me that she had one. But I mean, you, you could tell that to your five year old child, but you could hardly tell it to somebody who is your neighbor. And I think that a lot of us go through this all the time, not all the time, but very often it happens. And I noticed that there was a certain pattern to it. And while we can't say there is really clinical study or evidence of this, I can't prove something like this, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. And when you start looking at the, uh, the classical stories, or as I did, start interviewing people and collecting stories, you see a pattern to it, you know. Right. And I mentioned the um, probably one of the most uh, cited historical examples of time slips. And this is a woman visits uh, Versailles. And in 1901, and, uh, well, just sort of set that story up for us. Give us kind of the Reader's Digest version of what happens to her. It's a classic because the the two women, first of all, it didn't happen to one person. It happened to two women. They were both college professors. One of them, uh, Charlotte Moberly, she actually was the the, uh, president of one of the colleges of Oxford University. And in 1901, she and her colleague, Eleanor Jordan, visited the Palace of Versailles in the gardens there, except there were very few people there. And then when they got there, they found the Grand Trianon garden was closed. So they entered the Petite Trianon, and they, they, they weren't at all prepared for what they saw. They walked into the gardens, and they saw people dressed in elaborate costumes. One woman seemed to be sketching a picture of the gardens, and it seemed strangely out of time, and they they couldn't make any sense of it. So, you know, they had no one there to talk to. They were practically alone at the time, and this often happens. You're all alone, and and it'll happen late in the day, and you, uh, you get yourself into a certain consciousness state, and boom, you're there. And then you're out, you're not there. Well, th- these two ladies, these university ladies, they they returned several times, but they never saw the people dressed in elaborate costumes or the woman sketching or any of this before. Um, they were dressed in old costumes, so they kept talking about this, you know, and they published their strange encounters in a 1911 book called An Adventure. You can still find it, an adventure. And the British Society for Psychical Research investigated their reports. And they found that there was a lot to what they saw. They found that, in fact, in the time of the French Revolution, a French poet named Robert Montague uh, would routinely organize elaborate costume parties there in the little garden. And... They found that the woman who would like to sit out during these uh, situations would be none other than Marie Antoinette. She was the woman sketching. So the woman they had described fit all of the the, uh, historical records. 
There was also something she she noted a bridge which was no longer there and uh, later later discovered um, through some old maps of the property that there was in fact a map there or a bridge there. That that's absolutely absolutely right, Richard. They uh, they found going through records that there was uh, a a map, an old map that showed the bridge was once there, the bridge that they had described. So everything that they saw actually did exist at one time, but at a much earlier, earlier time. So I want to go back to, uh, you mentioned your early encounter with a time slip, and this is in uh, Everett, Washington, right? You're you're, uh, a young lad, and uh, instead of going to school one day, they take you out, I guess, strawberry picking? Yeah, strawberry picking. Yeah. And and I so, listen. I didn't uh, make any money strawberry picking, but I liked right on that bus, and because I always walked to school, I never rode on the bus. And I would go down to the river where we were allowed to go during lunch, and I would spend the whole day either eating strawberries or swimming. And I'd wait for the for the uh, the, the horn, and I'd get on the bus and go home. It was just a vacation for me. Terrible, terrible uh, strawberry picker. But I got very <laughs> sick one day. And I didn't realize it, but I was having an appendicitis attack. And, um, you know, I'd never heard of anything like that. I didn't know what it was, but I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I had to get out of there immediately. And uh, I asked the bus driver, no. I asked the uh, the boss of the field, no. I have to wait, for, like everyone else, for the bus to leave. And I looked at the railroad tracks that we'd cross every day. Um, coming into the field. And I thought, you know, I can just walk on these railroad tracks. Now, mind you, I'm like 20-some miles away from my home. And I thought, well, I'll just walk in these railroad tracks. And my mind wasn't working very well, but it seemed to me that if I just walked on the tracks, I would eventually get to my house. Now, I didn't know where the train went or anything. I mean, I'm just a stupid kid. So I'm thinking, well, I'll get on the tracks, and, and yeah, that sounds right, because I think that the train tracks stop right in front of my home. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. And it didn't make any sense. My friend said, no, 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 don't go. So I start to walk, and I remember I turned around, I waved to them, and then I turned around and continued walking, and boom, I was home. That's that. Just like that. Instantaneously. And I'm, I'm right in front of my house, and I go inside, and I open the door, there's no one home, and I um, uh, flop on a bed, and uh, my mother comes home, and she said, how are you? And she said, sick. She said, well, I'll give you some 7-Up. <laughs> the next morning, I said, I'm really sick. So they call the doctor, and they bring me there. My appendix had burst. Oh, Lord. It, it was that close. But, but here's the funny thing. The next year... I'm playing in the backyard. Now, I I just tune out this whole episode. It's like, you know, there's some strange, strange dream I had or something. But it occurs to me, as I look across our fence at the front of the house, the train tracks did not stop in front of my house. In fact, they didn't stop anywhere near my house. They stopped at one end of the town and the other end of the town and in the middle where I lived. There were no train tracks. How did this happen? This makes no right. sense. Right, and because you supposedly years, followed the tracks right to your door. Yeah, it was instantaneously, boom. I took one step, and, and that's what you should, I call it a sidestep in time. Take one step, and boom, you're there. 
And, you know, sometimes you come back and sometimes you stay there. So, you know, as Einstein said, space and time are linked. So if I move in space, I move in time. If I move in time, I move in space. So anyway, a couple of years later, we did move slightly north of there, from Everett, Washington. And lo and behold, the train track stopped right in front of my house. So I was like remembering some, I was, it was almost precognition. I was like scooping into the future to remember this. The whole thing was very, very strange. And, and, and they just continued, you know, later in my life as well. Right, up in uh, uh, Sandy, Oregon, I guess it was, and you were you were a small you were running a small community newspaper. Yes, uh, we were, we and you were, went out for it. Yeah, you yeah. went for a stroll one day down the main street, and it happened again. What happened? I, w- I was walking. I was walking down the main street, and uh, it was a small town, and I uh, took. I started walking, and suddenly. I was at the end of town, and I didn't hadn't remembered walking through the town. I remembered kind of like drifting through this strange tableau of images of of of, of high wooden uh, walkways between you know, and then I would step down into the intersection, and then I would you know I would. I would like a time when maybe it was like a pioneer town with muddy streets and a different kind of boardwalk and old, old buildings. And suddenly, and it was like a dream, you know. And then suddenly the dream was ended. I was at the end of town. And, and how I got there without getting run over, just walking aimlessly like that, it was a strange encounter. And, and they just well, continued. Well, so strange that you actually... You thought about getting yeah. some medical help. You thought I, you were losing your mind, right? You're right, Richard. I, I checked myself into the community hospital, and um, and I went through uh, two days of various tests, and they couldn't find a thing wrong with me. And then it occurred to me that if if there was nothing wrong with me medically, I had actually encountered these things. And they were they were really happening, you know. And I just it was just out so outside normal ordinary time and space and what I would consider ordinary reality that I couldn't make any sense of it. And uh, I never told anybody about this until I started writing these time books. And this is the fourth one, and I keep continuing the adventure. You know, when I I did the the first three time books, I would get on radio shows and. People would often want to ask me about time slips, and I said, "Well, yeah, I've had a lot of time slips." So you know, not everybody's going to jump into a time machine or a DeLorean and go back to the future. What we do is just we accidentally take one step, and the whole room changes, and then a couple of minutes later, you're back to where you were. I mean, these accidental time slips. I think happened to a lot of people, and we we mark them up to daydreams or visions or imagination, but they happen. Well, that that sense of being on an autopilot. You you mentioned that when you sort of came snapped back into the present timeline, you had made your way across town, uh, and had no knowledge of how you got there. That's happened to me, oh. where I have driven 
from my home here in Thornhill all the way to Zoomerplex, the radio station, which is about a 40-minute drive in Toronto. And I will suddenly arrive at the security gate yeah. and realize, and it, I almost have a panic attack because I realize I have no memory of how I got there. And I thought, how did I manage to navigate my way down the Don Valley Parkway across yeah. Lakeshore uh, Drive without getting into a car accident? Exactly. Is that a time slip? That's a time slip. You know, and I had that experience driving through Montana. And um, and it's like, um, I, you know, I had no gas. And, and, and I said, well, you know, I have to get through quickly. And it's like, boom, I was through. I was through. You know, and it's like, so what I've, what I've learned is that you can actually control your perception of time to the degree where you can actually make time like stretch or shorten it. And it's kind of handy because sometimes I have in these deadlines where I have to do like a lot of work and, I, and I'm calculating hundreds of hours, but I only have 12 and it's, and it's, it's fine. I mean, it's really fine. So, I mean, Einstein once was questioned about how people seem to experience time differently on a personal level. And, you know, he said it was all relative to where you were and how you you, you experienced it and how you perceived it. And he said, well, it's like this. A man sitting on a hot stove certainly experiences time differently than a man looking at someone like Marilyn Monroe. I thought, yeah, that brings it all to home. Right, because sometimes right. time seems very quickly, and sometimes it moves very slowly. And and what's different is your perception. So then I began to realize that a lot of people, like Samadhi mystics and yoga masters and bodhisattvas and 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 and, and, and native shamans uh, who do dream walking, they seem to put themselves into an altered state of consciousness, and then. And then they experience time shifts purposely. Well, we're uh, we're approaching a break here. When we come back, I want to talk about what what this says about the nature of reality and what is time exactly. Yeah. Uh, Vaughn Brashler, my guest, and his new book is Time Shifts: Experiences of Slipping into the Past and Future. And I would be um, very interested in hearing from any listeners out there who have experienced a time shift. Uh, sometimes when we talk about UFOs and alien abductions, people talk about missing time. That may or may not be uh, what we're discussing here. I'm not sure. Uh, Vaughn will uh, answer that when we come back. But uh, I'll give you the phone numbers now and you can start lining up at 416-360-0740. That's in the greater Toronto area, 416 360 0740 and toll free from out of town 1-866-740-4740 back with more of the conspiracy show my name is richard serrett stay with us different views make great conversation this is the conspiracy show with richard serrett on zoomer radio to speak with richard live call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Von Brashler is here, a writer on the subject of time, uh, human consciousness, energy healing, and his uh, brand-new book, Time Shifts, Experiencing or Experiences of Slipping into the Past 
and future. And before we get into this discussion about the nature of reality and and time, uh, I, I want to just share another quick one. And this one, this caused an absolute, um, well, it went viral uh, when someone found a clip of, from an old Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin um, movie back from 1928, and they posted a clip on YouTube. There's a scene of a woman who's, I believe, coming out of a movie theater. Again, this is a clip from Charlie Chaplin's 1928 movie, The Circus. And and she appears to be talking into a cell phone. Again, this is 1928. Uh, and, of course, it caused quite a stir and people were debating, well, maybe it's not a cell phone. Maybe it was a hearing aid. Uh, and some people were speculating that this woman was, in fact, a time traveler. And you include this in the book. Give me your thoughts uh, on on this very famous incident. Well, that's one that's often brought up because a lot of people witnessed it. Um, you know, there's been various attempts to explain what it was, that maybe it wasn't a phone. Uh, very often people who seem to be time travelers, they'll show up with devices that seem oddly out of place from the past to the future. This is certainly an example She's she's walking around and everybody's seeing this, you know, and and um, and she has this thing, this this contraption. She's holding up to her her ear this little device, and well, people had never heard anything like this. I mean, consider the time, 1928, you know, and 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 there were a lot of people there, you know. It was a, a, a big um, uh, um, launch for the for the movie, and. Um, the debut night, and, and and people tried to figure out what she was doing. She also seemed oddly dressed, and and they kept, you know, she seemed to be involved in a conversation. She was talking uh, quietly, as though to herself, as she held this to her to her head, and they couldn't figure out what it was. I mean, you know, it's like it's like she was going through some kind of a conversation, talking into some little device. And they, and they couldn't think of anything that could possibly be. And never, you know, back in 1928, the idea of, of, of having a, a phone like that, a remote phone, walking around with it, was 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 preposterous. Has there ever been to that. A, a prosaic, a reasonable prosaic explanation uh, in your mind that explains what happened, what that was all about? think that it's possible that she was from the future <laughs> and she was walking she wanted to go to a Charlie Chaplin opening because like that would be very cool right I mean think of things that you'd like to go back and see and because they were happenings you know they were great and um, and, uh, and and you and, and you got a cell phone but I mean who, who is she talking to you know I mean who is she talking to is she talking to people and you know, 2010 or, 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 or what? I mean, who would she be talking to in 1928 at the other end of that phone? Right, right. And then you pause it or you, you, you question who was the time traveler? Was she time traveling or were the people around her, in fact, time traveling? Well, I would, I would think she was. And I, and, and, and I would just suggest, I certainly don't know a whole lot about the story. I've read about it. It's a famous story. I think that maybe she was trying to talk to somebody back uh, in her own time period, you know, and probably not having a lot of luck. 
she was probably trying to ask, where the heck am I? Why is everybody strange? You know, it's like, you know, you know I mean, if you walk down the, the street now with a cell phone and you saw something strange, you'd probably call somebody up and say, you ever seen this before? I mean, you, you'd want someone to talk to. And I think she's right, trying right. to talk to somebody. Well, the thing is, when we think generally about time travel and we think of H.G. Wells and a time machine and yeah. a conscious deliberate effort to travel in time whereas in this case the uh, the case of the uh, the woman at in in versailles in 1901 your uh time slips these are unintended spontaneous um events so what what do you think is happening here i think that I looked at a pattern to all of these, and I came up with a, a few observations. They seem to happen in the late summer or, or fall. <laughs> it just seemed hmm. to me that they did. They seem to happen in the late afternoon or at dusk, approximately. And they seem to always happen when somebody goes through a personal state of consciousness shift, a shift in personal consciousness. It often happens when somebody's very quiet, they'll be out walking. Often they're very alone. There's nobody around. And they get into this altered state, and boom, like the shaman, like the yogi master, they're somewhere else, momentarily. Now, uh, how physically are they there? That, that's, to me, always the interesting thing that I, I can never quite grasp. Sometimes they seem to be physically there. You know, other times they seem to be like the shape of a person who's there. But what I also notice in in these patterns is very, very rarely are they able to interact with people. Very often the people around them can't talk to them or they can't talk to the people. Very often they have trouble hearing the other people. You know, it's almost like they're a witness, you know, walking through somebody else's reality it 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 it's often like the the three scouts that were orienteering in uh, um, Suffolk England you know they were looking to try to find the village of Kersey only they were there in the 1950s and they walked into a village that looked like it was in 1350 uh, a village that had gone through the Black Plague, and nothing moved, you know. The birds didn't move. The ducks were frozen in the pond. Uh, the trees didn't move. Um, well, while it was Like they were looking at a painting. Like they were looking yeah, at a painting. painting. Yeah, it's a painting. And the leaves, they noticed that, that there was no shadow. The wind stopped as soon as they came in. They heard a church bell when they first came in, and then nothing they found no church. They found no bell. When they first came in, there was, like, smoke from a chimney. But then they looked for more smoke, and there was no chimney. There was no motion, no people, no birds, no sound, nothing. No uh, furniture in the houses. Houses all painted crudely, white, whitewashed. Green. Like a Potemkin village. Yes. And they realized in describing what they saw in some detail, they, it, it came to light 
upon research by the Society for Psychical Research again, that the boys had walked into an Anglo-Saxon village probably in the 14th century, as it had just all perished from the Black Plague. They walked by a butcher shop. They described it in detail, and they checked the records, and that butcher shop dated back to 1350, but it ceased to exist whatsoever in 1790. So there's just all kinds of strange things where things don't seem quite right. It's like you're a witness into another time, but you're not an interactive witness. So in, there's a chapter in the book where you try and um, debunk some of the – debunk the debunkers, if you will. Uh, they'll yeah. offer up possible explanations, more prosaic explanations, yeah. like delusions, confusion, yeah. highly suggestible imagination, memories of past lives, psychic precognition of the future, dreaming – Creative imagination. Why are you convinced yeah. it isn't any of those things? Well, I mean, you you look at reliable witnesses like Charlotte Moberly and her colleague Eleanor Jordan, who were university professors. You know, very reliable witnesses, and they were so sure that of what they'd seen, they went back looking for it again. You have the naval cadets in Kersey in nineteen fifty-seven. That you know, they all three of them stuck to their story to their dying day. You have three men in a truck in Oklahoma in 1971 that claim they saw a building that no longer exists, and they stuck to their story. And they stick to their story long enough, and then somebody investigates it, a journalist or, a, you know, a researcher, and they think, well, you know, this, this, there's a story of Rudolph Fence in New York in 1950. You know, he, he suddenly shows up in a top hat and a, a very old-looking suit with uh, lamb chop um, sideburns and, 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 and handlebar mustache. And he's frightened by the cars like he's never seen them before, and he gets hit and he dies. And there's no report of such a missing person. This strange man had strange coins in his pocket that no one had ever seen. He f- they found an ancient livery, livery bill from a stable in Philadelphia, they found business cards of a Dr. Rudolph Fence. Later on, they found the, the widow of Rudolph Fence Jr., who said, oh, yes, my husband often told the story of, her, of his father who went out for a stroll one night and never came back. Strange stories. Remarkable, remarkable. All right, we'll take another quick time out. We'll come back, Vaughn, and uh, we'll talk about some possible explanations uh, for time shifts, black holes, energy vortices, raised consciousness, our human ability to go outside ordinary space-time, astral travel, and more. Vaughn Braskler, my guest, as we talk time slips on The Conspiracy Show. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. So in talking about the nature of time and reality, you quote people like uh, the great late American author Carlos Castaneda, who wrote the teachings of Don Juan and about his journey into uh, shamanism. You, you, You quote Helena Blavatsky, the Russian philosopher and the founder of the Theosophical Society. You quote Albert Einstein. Um, 
after all this research, do you do you think you understand what and based on what they've said, what time is and what the nature of reality is that might allow for time slips? Well, I think I'm beginning to to see a a pattern. Let's say, um, I think I think what it is is um, that our our consciousness is fixed on one space and time, but all time in all space coexists equally at the same time. In other words, there's only one timeline, but but it's but it's all coexisting. So in other words, the past and the future are existing in, a, in, in, its own, in their own sense of now. So yes, um, like the time machine, you know, you, you go in the future, you go into the past, I mean, but you couldn't do it in a machine. But you'd have to do it, you'd have to, you'd have to walk through it. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's, a, it's a shift in your consciousness because our consciousness is only fixed on this specific time and place where you are, which um, is often called the now plane. It, it, it's, it's where light strikes you. And it all depends on wh- where light strikes you. I mean, strangely enough, you know, if you look at Einstein, it, 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 is, it, is, it is your now time. So we experience time different based on when light strikes us. But it, it also is the way we we process the light. My last book was called Moving in the Light, and a great mystic from India told me that you could move in the light. And I totally get that, but I don't know if I, I can verbalize it. Like I think I said at the back of this book, I'm sorry, but, but the words just don't quite convey it. You have to experience it. I think that, I think that you can actually move energetically in a consciousness body, and I'm not talking about astral projection, but you can move in a consciousness body if you can re- if you can refocus your consciousness. So all these realities are really operating simultaneously. In, a, in, in your listeners have probably heard of the multi universe. Uh, yes. You know there there are universes and realities that are coexisting, but we're fixed where we are. Think of a map. Now, if you take a map and you fold it and you fold it and you fold it, and it's like you can't see what's on the other side, but it's just like a, a paper-thin difference between what you're looking at and the other side. It's, it's the way the light bends, you see. We're just around the, the folds, the folds in space, you know, and, and but, but, but as, you know, you, you can actually walk beyond there. You can take a, a step outside there. And we do this with our mind. These are all adventures of the mind. You know, and then you say, well, they were actually there. Yes, they were. I mean, they took their energy bodies with them. They took their etheric body with them. They took their emotional body. They took their astral body. They took their mental body. They took their causal body. They took their buddhic body. They took their, their, their very soul with them. You know, the spirit within us is really light or energy. And, and it's just encased in this thing we call a physical body. Well, you can leave the physical body right here and go somewhere else. So it happens all the time to people that are just very quiet, very still, and they just go through a consciousness shift, and boom, they're somewhere else. Because they've lost their fixation 
on this specific time and place. So you have some exercises in the book, Time Slips, and and, uh, how to achieve this. So are you now at a stage, Vaughn, where you can do this at will? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, the, my, the exercises that I do, I often do them in groups, and I get people to go forward or backward in time. And, and they have to get into a meditative state, and, and, they, and, and they go into a deep, active meditative state. And I'm not talking about just feeling happy or blissful, or I'm not talking about just being, you know, uh, reflective. I mean, these are really, really deep, deep meditative states. But in, in you go into the state with the conscious intent to program yourself where you want to go. And I have them uh, cease all words and thoughts going through their mind. If you have thoughts and words going through your mind, you're not meditating deeply enough for this. I mean, you have to get to a point where you see nothing but black or just a blank slate. And on that slate, you draw or sketch where you want to go and what you want to see. It can be a crude drawing. It can be a crude, uh, uh, just a stick figure if you like. Doesn't matter. It's your personal map where you want to go. And it, if I can get people to do this, and I've done it several times in workshops, people can actually experience past and future. Now you say, well, are they just remembering? their own past, their own future. No, no, I mean, they're really going somewhere. They're actually seeing things, you know. And um, the thing about, you know, people that that go into the future, you know, isn't it strange how very often their glimpses into the future come, come, comes true, you know. It proves to be realistic, you know. And right, people have prescient dreams. Uh, well, we're we're up yeah. a, against a break here. This is a short segment, but I'll, uh, when we come back, I'll ask yep. you. You know, when do we know that a dream is more than a dream? Perhaps it was a time slip into the future. We'll also work in a few calls and take some questions from our uh, YouTube live chat. Von Brassler stays with us, the author of Time Slips, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Back with more in a moment. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Von Brashler is here, the author of Time Slips, and we were talking about prescient dreams and, and whether they may be more than just dreams. And uh, Chad in the YouTube live chat asks, is exactly this is thinking about the future and then it manifests exactly as you thought considered a time slip well i mean i do have a book coming out later in the year that'll be on 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 creative visualization and i think that's more a case of creative visualization they're certainly linked and dreams are linked it's all linked it's all consciousness it's it's all putting your thoughts into into, into motion, in directing your thoughts, focusing your thoughts with intent and focus, and then projecting them accurately, uh, and then seeing and then seeing it come true, and then changing our reality. I don't know if that answers the question. Richard, was that the question? I, that was the question, yes. Okay. Uh, so it, when do we, if we have a dream and we, we, um, 
in the dream we travel somewhere. Uh, maybe we travel, it seems like we're in the past or, or we're in the future. How do we know yep. whether or not that it was just a dream or whether we were in fact involved in a time slip? Yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, both, uh, both are true. <laughs> both are true. Okay, how's that for an uh, easy answer? <laughs> I, I, think, I think that you, you can program your dreams for time travel. And, 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 and you, you can program your dreams just as you would program a deep, active, out-of-body meditation. And in, in other words, we're talking now about lucid dreams or vivid dreams that are very clear, very real, and where you very, you're very sure uh, there's a lot of focus and intent involved, and then you're very sure that, it, that, that you're going somewhere and, and actually... In other words, this, these are not just memories of your sleepy, your restless mind playing over and over and over, thoughts about, concerns about things being playing, played over and over and over in your restless brain as you try to sleep. This is actually your spirit getting outside and, 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 um, and traveling somewhere, you know. It is an exercise of, of human consciousness leaving the body. Human consciousness leaves the body all the time. This is how we send ESP thoughts to people. This is how we, we know when the phone's going to ring. This is how we feel attached to our loved ones miles and miles away. You know, you know we can send instantaneous uh, communication to people telepathically. Everybody does this. They just, very few talk about it. But those you who have, are you have to you. Sorry, I was just going to say, you have exercises in the book as well for uh, yep. lucid dreaming and how we can basically program our dreams to yep. uh, time travel. Ex 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 extremely right. Now, you can program your dreams to take you where you want to go. You know, that, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the whole key. So, in other words, you, 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 you use a, a focused program, self-directed self program dream with intent and focus, uh, and this can also be a waking dream. Doesn't have to be. You can program yourself when you go to sleep. You can lie on the sofa, or you can you can sit in a chair and have a waking dream. You know, and and this and the, and the effect is the same as a deep meditation, where you travel in 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 uh, in conscious time travel. So yeah, right. we can travel. We travel in our dreams, and what you want to do is when you get there. <laughs> when you get there, you look at your hands, and if you could, this is a trick. You look at your hands, if you can see your hands, and then you look around, and then, you know, if, if it all seems very real, if you can actually, you know, like, if you feel like you're really there. And if you come back and you have very clear memories of what you've seen. So what you want to do is meditate in a, in a reflective, lighter meditation of what you've seen. Just kind of let it sift through. Don't think too hard. And then afterwards, you can get up and write it in a dream dictionary, a dream journal. Try to make right. sense of it. All right, let's go to the phone. Skip is checking in from Connecticut. Hey, Skip, welcome. Hi, Skip. Yeah, hi, Vaughn. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, yeah, I, I know I like Jumper and the old time travel re, uh, things you can get online, but my question would be, at a given point in reality, uh, can people or a group or individuals pull people in in terms of tra time travel? That would be, uh, they, or 
could they push someone out or push themselves out in terms of time travel? So either pull, pulling someone in from someplace else or pushing someone out to someplace else. Well, Skip, I Good would question. tend to say no. I would tend to say no because uh, you you have all the control you to enter it. You 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 have to focus your your altered consciousness and get into a deep, higher state of consciousness with focus and intent and a plan. If you're going to go on a trip, you need a plan, right? So if you're going to leave like this in a lucid dream, or if you're going to actually set up time travel through a meditation, you need a pl- uh, travel plan. And, and it should be focused what you, where you want to go, what you want to see, you know, who you expect to see there. You know, and then you, you go and you look for it, you know. But as far as people pulling you in or you pulling people in or pushing you out, now, however, you can also do, you can do this, you can enter into these states as a group, you know. There can be group meditations. You can do group dreaming. You can do, you can do tandem dreaming. You can dream, you can have a dream partner. And the two of you could actually go somewhere, um, you can, you could go back to the uh, Palace of Versailles, and you know, if you wanted, and watch Marie Antoinette painting. I mean, you could, you could do that if that's what you really wanted to do. All right, Skip. Thank you for that. Uh, it reminds me, you're talking about, you know, planning your 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 trip. Maybe in the future we'll have time travel agents, or maybe we already do. You're a time travel agent. That's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to. Uh, I want to go back to the YouTube live chat and um, Solar Warden has uh, checked in with a great question and um, you, you're probably familiar with David Politis, Politis who uh, is on Coast to Coast AM with his Missing 411 books and um, Solar is, asked, is wondering whether these time slips may be a possible explanation for some of the Missing 411 phenomenon. If you're not familiar with Politis, he writes about all of these clusters of individuals who disappear without a trace uh, from national parks, sometimes they reappear in, a, in another yeah. location. Um, do you think time slips may be at work here? Um, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say no, I, and, I don't, and I don't know the answer. But it, 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 it doesn't seem to me, based on the people I've interviewed or what I've studied or what I've experienced, the time shifts work that way. It's, it's all self-directed. It's all very personal. And people can't just take you and take away your time like that. You can't steal someone's time. You know, I mean, people can be very disoriented, um, and, then, and then they have no sense of time. Um, but as far as a time shift, I'm going to have to say... Now, I've had this discussion for years with Whitney Strieber, I've been on his show, and he, he always says, you know, this explains the alien abductions. There's always a time gap. You know, it's like you, you can't explain where right. you were. Where were you? And I said, well, um, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe this explains a lot of things. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, but but I would. But I, you're not I being taken, as you say, because no. because your physical body remains in the now. Yeah. Uh, but it's your, it could be your astral body, your soul body. That is what goes into the past or the future. But your physical yeah. body, no one's going to miss you, right? You're still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when they totally physically disappear, that's different. Now, if the aliens come and, 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 they, and they take your consciousness with you, 
Um, I don't know how they do that, and they left you there. That would be a whole different thing. I don't really know how to answer these questions. There may be some relationships to time slips and abductions, um, but it, it seems to me that, that we can self-direct uh, and, and program our own uh, purposeful time, time travel. Uh, we're just about out of time, but I want to work in this question. It's a good one. Uh, GBGN1, wonderful handles in my YouTube live chat. GBGN1 yeah. asks whether what you're talking about is somehow related to another one of my favorite topics. That's the Mandela effect, where people remember something, groups of people, many people remember something one way, but then it seems to have changed, like the spelling of Oscar Mayer Wiener or the Behringer Bears, or they thought that. Uh, when Nelson Mandela uh, actually, you know, died and there was a funeral, they remember him having died years before. Is our yeah. t- time slips related to the Mandela effect? Well, I, I think this, uh, I, I hope this answers the question. I think that a lot of people, they when they go into what we would call a time slip, keep in mind that they're not only traveling in time, but they're traveling in space to a place it seems n- not their no- ordinary normal reality and and I, and we go to common spaces together and we have people that we meet there routinely and i i know people on other planes that i don't know in the here and now but i know them very well sometimes i run into them on the in the here and now <laughs> if i can say here and now but but um, you know, I mean, we meet on another another place on the timeline in another space time, and I think that's what happens: is you have groups of travelers that gather, and they have their own new reality. It's a group consensus reality. It forms their own cultural um, thought forms. Well, speaking of time, we are out of it. Uh, Time shifts, experiences of slipping into the past and future available at Amazon and uh, wherever good books are sold. Vaughn, great meeting you, and we'll do this again. Thank you. Thank you. All right, back next week, Terry James talking Antichrist. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.